The key to sustainable leadership lies in the ability to thrive in uncertainty, ambiguity, and change. Grand Heron International brings you the Coaching Assistance Program, giving your employees on-demand coaching to manage through a challenging situation and arrive at a solution. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn more. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Welcome to Keep Leading Live, the video version of the Keep Leading Podcast. Today, we are streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, and a new edition, LinkedIn. So I am absolutely excited to have all of you joining me, tuning in from these locations across the internet and across the globe. Keep Leading Live, like the Keep Leading Podcast, is dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host. Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Today, I would like to talk about how we can navigate critical junctures in business as leaders. To do so, I have invited a very special guest, the amazing <laughs> Beth Polish. You see her here. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about Beth. Beth was a pioneer in the New York tech community. She was the founding chief operating officer and chief financial officer of iVillage. She was the president of Dream Life, which she co-founded with Tony Robbins and built into a publicly traded company. She was the managing director at KPMG, and the CFO of Goldman Sachs Ventures. She has a tremendous amount of experience as an investment banker and as a partner of a venture capital firm. She has raised over $300 million from leading institutional and strategic investors. So I'm excited to have this amazing person. Beth, welcome to Keep Leading Live. Thank you, Eddie. I am so delighted and excited to take our conversations on live and be live as we're doing it. So I'm delighted to be here. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. And I want to also welcome, Beth, those who have joined us and let them know to tell us who you are. If you're tuning in with Beth and I, go ahead and let us know in the comment section of the platform that you're on. Tell us that you're here so we know you're here. Uh, tell us where you're from. And if you have questions about our topic and you want to learn from Beth, please put your questions in the box and we will uh, come to you uh, with your questions. Also, 
If you find value, please go ahead and hit the like button so we know you are finding value in our conversation. And hit the share button. Share this live broadcast with your friends, with your network, so that they can join the conversation with us as well. And they can not only join the conversation, but they can have the recording in their feed after we are done. So Beth, I told a little bit about your background. What else did I miss? Well, let's see. I spent five years at Hearst Corporation where I was brought in to create an innovation group that would go across all five or seven business units for Hearst. And my mandate was to come up with, to work with employees to both develop a culture around innovation and also for them to have the opportunity to come up with, create, and hopefully build new businesses that could bridge across different Hearst groups. So I'm very proud of my five years that I spent there and the amazing people that I have worked with, as well as I am on the board of a top journalism school at the Grady School for Journalism and Mass Communications that's out of the University of Georgia. And especially in times like we live in today, I am particularly proud of my association with them and because there's never been a time where journalism wasn't more important. So I think that's about it. Anything else will naturally come up. Well said, Beth. <laughs> and I got to tell you, uh, when I read that about you as a part of my research for the show, I didn't know that part of your background. And I said, wow, I, I feel a little extra pressure now because you are a <laughs> journalism expert. I mean, the board you sit on, especially the one I read about uh, the Reynolds Institute, it's the nation's oldest school of journalism. I didn't know that. The other one that you sit on, they issue the Peabody Awards, the esteemed Peabody Awards. Is that correct? It is. I wish I could say that I was on the Peabody Committee, but I am not. That takes people of international renown. But I am very proud to be part of the school that the Peabody sit under. And with Reynolds, I got involved in its relative. It's relevant to our topic at hand of critical junctures. Because what the, I got involved with the Reynolds Journalism Institute because we put together through Hearst, we pioneered a program that brought journalism students, computer science students, and business students together to solve real world problems. And that was so important because these are groups that normally don't talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But in today's world, you can't be a journalist and not understand the business of journalism. You can't be in the bit. You can't be on the business side without an appreciation for what journalists do. And if you are the builder of it, the technology is infused in all of it. So what's so important is to have a common vocabulary. So I am so, I mean, I'm honored that I have had, I have an association with both of these institutions. Indeed. And it, with Hearst, I, I didn't recognize Hearst's name immediately, but I did recognize, and perhaps our viewers will recognize these names, A&E, the History Channel, ESPN, Cosmopolitan, Men's Health. And Car and Driver uh, <laughs> here in Houston, Texas, our local paper, The Chronicle. You all ran all of that. So th over 300 different businesses around the world. So fantastic experience that you have. So let's talk about that if we could. You actually, before we jump into that, there's one other thing I want to share. And I would love to get your perspective as we think about this. Tell us a little bit about this, if you would. Wait a second. Yes. I am. I can't believe you're pulling this up. Don't just put it down. Put it down. Put it down. 
<laughs> That's the MG100 event. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That was really an extraordinary event, wasn't it? It was the it first has, gathering of all know, of us. It was. And the thing about it is that what I loved about the MG100 was the pay it forward mentality, the, the perspective that that's supposed to be what binds us. And then when we got out there, we re I realized that this was one of the first times where it felt like everybody walked their talk, if that's the right, you know, that, that we talk about paying it forward. But in fact, this group does not just externally with, but with each other. So that was a remarkable couple of days. I have to say, I can't believe you pulled that picture up though. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> All of the great folk people there from Marshall Goldsmith. And in that photo was us with uh, David Peterson, uh, the head yeah. of coaching at Google. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other great thing I want folks to know about you, that you are a member of the esteemed Marshall Goldsmith MG100. And you were there for that day that we knew it was big and it was special when it occurred. But yeah. now in hindsight, all the more so since uh, we can't get together. Yep, I, I have to say that 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 was a critical juncture in my life and that joining the group, it's just been a remark. It's been remarkable. All the people that, that I've met, I know that you've met and the amount of interaction we have that just enriches our lives. Yes. And um, allows us to talk about important things. And it's mm -hmm. been just, an it, we've taken that experience and, and we've been, it's, it's lived on beyond a, a, a single weekend. It really has. Hence, you and I being together today. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you call your company Critical Junctures. Tell us yeah. why. What I love doing is, is seeing vision, seeing taking a kernel of an idea and how do you make it into something bigger. That's what I've done as an entrepreneur. And it's what I do and when I work with people. And the truth is that, that Critical Junctures are really important for the growth of any business. And if I might just sort of amplify that in a way, is that word, the words we use to describe things are just really important. And people often use the word crisis or the word pivot and the word critical juncture interchangeably. And the truth is that they're all related, but they're not the same thing. So I really like to help leaders identify and navigate through critical junctures. And that inevitably brings in crisis and pivot as part of that conversation. Wonderful. When you think about that, and, and would you say that those words have almost become overused? I think that they've not only become overused, but they've been misused, I mm. would say. And if you don't mind, I would really like to share with our, our audience, our compatriots here, how I see the difference among those three words. Please. Because what you do with it really matters. So the way I think about it is a crisis is something that happens because of an emergency. Simply put, it's a crisis, it's an emergency, the pandemic that we've all been living through right now and will continue to live through for a while is definitely considered a crisis. It's something that happens to you. Sometimes you cause your own crises, but this a crisis is an emergency. A pivot, on the other hand, is a shift away from something. It could be that something has, and something has caused this shift to be required. So it could be what happened to the newspaper and media in many ways, where consumers started to really consume their media online and digitally away from print. 
and it has forced some companies to pivot their direction. So a pivot is something that's, that is a, is a shift that's been forced on you by changes, let's say, in your industry. A critical juncture, though, is a path. It's a choice, a path that you go down. You're at this moment, and you either go left or you go right. And once you're on that path, there's all kinds of things to think about. And the truth is that most companies face similar critical junctures. Pivots may, in fact, cause critical junctures, as do crises. A crisis could force a pivot. So they're, they're, they're interrelated, but they are definitely three distinct things. And understanding those differences is really important as a leader. That is really good clarification. And I, and I never thought about it like that, Beth. So thank you for sharing that. And when we look at our, our current situation in terms of de- dealing with the pandemic, the COVID crisis, and what it has mm-hmm. caused us to have to think about differently as leaders, how does this factor in? So I've been really thinking about that a lot and talking with clients mm-hmm. about what that means. And so I thought I would just pull some things that we've read about in the news. So. Mm-hmm. You are a store, we talk about restaurants and restaurants or bakeries. Famous one is the bakery example that we've all, many of us have read about. And, you know, the bakery gets shut down and it's got all of this dry goods in it. It's got all their ingredients and they can't sell, they can't bake because they can't bring people in to bake. And they don't have a really great way of selling, even if they were able to bake. And quite frankly, just opening up for delivery and takeout isn't, isn't really an, a, a, an interesting answer to the question. It's just doing what they already were doing. So a crisis requires on the one hand for you to make a quick decision on what to do. And so a bakery will sell flour. There were bakeries around that sold flour. It was hard to get flour. Everybody who was sheltering in place, cooking became great. I think you may recall talking to one of our our colleagues that who is in the chocolate business, the cocoa powder was off the shelves. It hadn't been a top seller for years, but suddenly it was for people baking. So bakeries went out in order to stay alive and they sold their dry goods. So this was something that they did as a decision to deal with the immediate, the immediate situation. They didn't pivot away from being a bakery and they didn't decide to go down a critical juncture that says we're no longer going to be in the bakery business, we're going to be in the dry goods business. So it's really important that you think about when you respond to a crisis, like we've done in the pandemic, about are you just making a short-term decision or is this a longer-term decision? Does that make sense to you? Does that that make sense, Eddie, about this, about in a crisis related to the pandemic, how that might, how you might define that as a crisis response? makes a lot of sense. And thank you for delineating that, but also sharing the illustration about the baker. And I remember I was a part of that conversation, but I can't remember who we were talking about that with. But yes, that's very apropos. Thank you for sharing that, Beth. Yeah. Now, if I could, I just continue for a second, because I think there's some interesting ones is, you know, when you think of a pivot, did the baker become a decide to go into a different business? Mm-hmm. And versus, let's say, a critical juncture to truly shift directions. And I think that, you know, we spent, you and I spent a lot of time thinking about the conference business, mm-hmm. right? That's a great example of a crisis that hit an industry that was used to doing it in person and are quote unquote pivoting away from in person to trying to do virtual. 
And the critical juncture for them that they face is, are they thinking that they're going to go back to physical? The in-person conference is the moment we're allowed to get out and it's safe. Or the other's critical, or the other side of that critical juncture is, are they going to figure out that virtual and in-person are going to coexist? And the critical juncture they're down is to be thinking about and building towards making these two sides coexist with each other versus using virtual conferences as a stopgap until they can go and do in-person again. Yes. And so we truly have a case of yes and versus, you know, no. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Or, or right? Or. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really true because we, you know, I've sat in enough conversations with people who are either speakers, as you and I both are, or who run conferences, and we've both produced and been part of the management of conferences, that some people really are looking at that critical juncture. They're not seeing it as a critical juncture. They're thinking of it as a short-term pivot in a crisis, but not as a critical juncture that it really is. And I think they're going to be left out in the end if they just if they don't think about it, that that's a real choice of a path for them. It is. And, and you're right. Uh, they, they will be left out. It, it, it is a need for all of us to literally hit the reset button and think about a new way of doing things. But we'll have more right after this. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the leadership accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Chester Elton, the Apostle of Appreciation, and you're listening to the Keep Leading Podcast with the one, the only, Eddie Turner. All right. So amazing guest, Beth Polish, so appreciative of having uh, Bethel Junctures business as leaders. So Beth, before the break, you were giving us uh, some really good information about how we navigate and you give us some great illustrations. Are there any setbacks or obstacles that you've had where you've been able to really apply this that stand out in your mind that you can share with our listeners? That's a great question. I think I've had them personally as I've made certain career choices that I early on in my career turned down an opportunity and that happened because I hadn't done the, my homework to understand the landscape of the industry that I was being offered a job in, that I saw only the short-term opportunity and not the medium and long-term opportunity. And so when I, people come to me for career advice, I always share with them that I don't want them to make that same mistake, that you really have to do your homework to know what is a real opportunity and what isn't. And I think the same thing applies to businesses that you might think that it's not a good idea to do something when in fact, if you see that it can lead you to the bigger opportunity, then it's a good thing to do. So really looking at it holistically is very important. Looking at it holistically is important. Good. And what causes us not to really see it holistically? Is there something that causes us to only see a part of it that you see popping up more than others? Yes, I think so. This is, to me, 
in many ways, we see and hear what we want to see and hear. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience where somebody says something to you about an industry or something like that, and suddenly it's interesting to you, and suddenly you're noticing it everywhere. And it was always there, but you just weren't attuned to it. So I think that one thing is that we oftentimes can't see and hear what we're not ready to see and hear. And if that's the case, then we have to have some self-discipline that says, I know that's, it's not about me. I'm not terrible. It's what we all do sometimes. And so to force yourself to have some practices or methods to make sure that you don't fall, one doesn't fall into that trap of not asking other sorts of questions. And this is where I was in, I think you may know that I was an anthropo, I have a business degree, but I was also, an, I was an anthropology major in college. And as an anthropologist, you really work hard to see the world through somebody else's eyes. And I feel like that has been so important to me in business because that's what helps me check myself. I, don't, I try really hard not to just to look at it through my eyes, but imagine it through the, uh, somebody else in the situations. And that helps me see things better. I don't always love what I see, but it does. Make, it's important that I see the things I don't want to see. Now, I did not know that, Beth. In fact, I realized that there's a line I omitted when I was reading your bio, your very impressive bio, and that is that you have an MBA from Harvard Business School. I did not know that you had studied anthropology. Yes, and it is consistent. I think it's one of the most valuable educations a person can have, and yet it is consistently ranked as one of, for earning at a college, anthropology majors are always at the bottom. I just say it's like the tortoise and the hare that, you know, the, the hare runs off and burns itself out. And and it, so I just think that the, the anthropology majors just may start out of the gate a little slower, but they, they get there in the end. They get there in the end. <laughs> you said something That's why I told my parents, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's you told your parents. And get there in the end, you did, because you've got to do some incredible things. And so... That's good to know, because sometimes um, this is a whole nother topic, a whole nother show. But sometimes our, our liberal arts degrees or different degrees that aren't necessarily accounting, engineering and probably finance. There's, a, there's another one I'm thinking of. Sometimes uh, medicine. If they're yes. not in those areas, then uh, people don't necessarily always see the value in it. So That's thank fine. you for sharing that. Yes. No. The other thing you said that was interesting about sometimes we're not ready to do something or hear something even. And as a coach, that really resonates with me because I see that a lot. And is there something that you have found that is helpful? And you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but is there something that you have found that is your go-to when that when you see that that's the case? Or do you just kind of have to sit back and wait for the person to catch up? Wow, that's a terrific question. I think it's different for different people that I work with or who are friends who come for advice, I think you get a sense, the more you work with people, you get a sense of how, what's the best way to let the person in on that it'd be great to look at things from a different perspective. No matter what, I think people don't want to be told what to do. They mm -hmm. need to feel like they have agency over what they're doing and how they're feeling. So it might be articles I'll send. It may be starting a conversation in a different area that allows me to somehow make the link back to what it is. Mm -hmm. And also getting fear drives a lot of these things. So getting being a safe person 
for people to talk to and not judging. There's no judgment because we all, did you say coaches need coaches? We all need safe people that we, that we can talk to. So my guess is your coach provides you with a safe person that, that, that she's safe for you to talk to and, and, and work things through with, without judgment. And so I think that the, the, the best we can do as coaches is to provide that safe space for people, for our clients to work through issues with. Not as a psychiatrist, because that's not what we are, psychologists, but as a, as a business person where, you know, like a great one is role-playing difficult conversations. What's in your head, almost when you think it's going to be terrible, it's really hard. People can't say most of those horrible things. They just don't say it. So sometimes you just have to be a person that can go back and forth with your client and realize that it's maybe not as as difficult as they might think it is. (laughs) And in many cases, (laughs) yeah, I was gonna say, and in many cases, it is not as difficult as we think it is. And in some cases, of course, we we find out that it may be even harder than what we thought it was. We underestimated. But uh, the power of positive thinking, good. (laughs) (laughs) I try, I try, and then and these days. We have to feel like we can we can get through, and it's really hard day to day, moment to moment, throughout the day, to feel like we have much control over anything right now. That that is true today, probably yeah. now more than ever. Yes. For our leaders, our entrepreneurs, our business folks who are here, is there any final advice that you would like to share for those who are listening? So, in thinking about that, I'm going to go back to something that I started with, which is. It's to understand the importance of the of words because they frame how you look at and respond to a critical juncture or knowing whether it's a crisis or a pivot. So it's really important to know those words, think clearly about what it is that you're dealing with because otherwise it's the only way to avoid unintended consequences. And the other factor that I think is very important for people to realize is not acting is actually a decision. Mm. And so you have to treat it as a decision because sometimes the best thing to do is to sit tight. And the other times it's the worst thing that you can do. You just have to make it an active choice and movement forward. Like even a decision not to act is movement forward. If you don't stop moving forward, then you will have a real problem. So that's what I'd like to suggest to people that they do. And tied to that is, if I might add a second thing, if you don't mind, is something which I call the look yourself in the mirror test, which is to really understand what makes you tick. Like some people are really good at being entrepreneurs or consultants and or being employees. And if you try to force yourself into a role which is not something you're either comfortable with or trained for, and it may not be right for this moment in your life, there will will be a mismatch. And so there's no wrong answer unless it is that you haven't been honest with yourself about what really matters to you and your business. So Beth, what, and this is the Keep Leading Podcast and Keep Leading Live Stream. We like to give leaders uh, a quote or the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever received that you can share with us to help us all keep leading. To keep moving forward and to make sure you have a thick skin. You're going to have ups and downs, but you keep moving forward. Keep moving forward and have a thick skin. Outstanding. Where can my listeners learn more about you? They can go to BethPolish.com 
and learn some more about me, they can come to my LinkedIn page, which I think you've shared already with people. And those would be two easy places to go. And anybody who interacts with me, I'm pretty good at responding. So please feel free. And I'd also like to say, while I appreciate people telling me that they agree, I really do appreciate that because I do need, I, I need that. And also I am happy to hear that you disagree because it makes me think. So feel free to say, and I have had that when I used to blog regularly, I wrote something and people just started writing about how they thought I had it all wrong and it forced me to think. And I, I appreciate the honesty and the courage it takes to, to put forward opinions like that. So please, if you think I'm wrong, just let me know. Well, I think you're right. And I think you're, uh, the audience will definitely take you up an offer to let you know. Thank you for <laughs> helping us to understand how we can navigate critical ventures as leaders. We're going to put all your contact information in the show notes so people can reach out to you. And I want to encourage everyone, connect with Beth on social media when those links come out. Connect with her. I've already shared her LinkedIn. I think we've got your, your Twitter handle and all that yeah. that we're going to be putting in the show notes as well. So connect with her. Follow her. She's amazing. And I am so grateful to you for being my guest today on the Keep Leading live stream. Thank you. I'm grateful to be, have been here. And thank you all for tuning in. And thank you all for listening. I've already announced our guest for next week. So I just want to say, uh, remind you all, the Keep Leading podcast and Keep Leading live stream are all about reminding us that leadership is an activity. Leadership is all about action. It's not the case of once a leader always a leader. It's not a garment that we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep it. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.